This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, Derek Keenan wasting no time before free agency to start the retooling of the rush. Cody Jansen joins us to talk about the two trades and also an update on the RMLL who will be hosting this year's Minto. Plus, we talk about San Diego and another round of box bets. All that more on OTCB. Good evening and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, alongside Pat Gregoire. My name is Teddy Jenner, and boy, have we got an absolute beauty for you tonight. Oh, hello. It's been a while. Good to talk to you again. He's Pat Gregoire. I'm Teddy Jenner. This is the Off the Crossbar podcast. It has been a while. We took some time off. We rested, we relaxed, we coached, we called some games, played a lot of golf. But we figured with the massive trades that the Saskatchewan Rush did this week, we'd hop on, we'd return our voices to your eardrums, and we'd chat some bit. So what's going on? Welcome to the Off the Crossbar podcast. Find him on Twitter, at Pete Greggy. Find me, myself, at Teddy Jenner. And the show is at OTCB underscore podcast or on the Instas at OTCB Podcast. Hi, Pat. Long time no chat, buddy. It's it's nice good, to be man. back here. Yeah. Oh. You, got you as well? You still got your San Diego tan, man. How was yeah, that? How was, how was San Diego, man? Oh, let me tell you. Other than the first day where we, uh, we had to sit outside in 26-degree blazing sun with no tent calling games for six hours, um, <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was something I'd never experienced before in my life. Like I went to the 90, what was it? 92, like U19 worlds when my brother was playing. I went to the world juniors when they were out here in Coquitlam back in like 2016. So I'd seen some international events, but nothing on this scale. And not in my wildest dreams that I ever think I'd call a Peru Latvia game <laughs> in the world championships from San Diego, California. Never did I thought I'd get to see Brent Adams coaching a Uganda team in the world championships. It was just an incredible experience from day one through day 12. Steve Govett, Joe Sy, Cam Holding, Mike Grace, everybody behind the scenes from the SEALs organization that put their time in to make this event happen. Everybody from, you know, World Lacrosse that was on hand to make this happen. It was just, it wasn't easy because, you know, there was basically three different venues, six different fields that were being used, um, creating broadcasts and volunteers and the scheduling and, and coordinating all these teams and players like, that's not an easy thing to do at all. And these guys pulled it off almost seamlessly. And so a huge tip of the cap to everybody that that put time in. Um, all the broadcasters from us lowlifes um, that got to call the low fields to, to the them bringing in the big guns to call the, the championship games. Um, what an experience. One I'll never forget. Uh, Brad, Jake and myself were all on an Airbnb together. So we got to spend a lot of time together, getting to know each other. You know, we've, we've been broadcast partners and friends for 15, 20 odd years and beyond, but never have we spent this much time together. So there was always that concern that maybe we'd get on each other's nerves and, <laughs> you know, someone would want to move out. We'd want to trade houses, but none of that ever happened. We had an absolute blast. Um, San Diego was gorgeous. 
what a great place to hold the world championships. I don't think it'll be the last time they have it there. Uh, but all in all, an unbelievable experience from start to finish. And then I know everybody back home here in Canada was enjoying all the games and around the world. So um, a very well-run event. Obviously, the Americans came out on top again. But to see, you know, Japan making it back into Pool A, to see some of these nations have their best finishes in tournaments or, or you know, scoring their first goal or winning their first game and just the the atmosphere and the fun these guys were having pre and post uh, was just an unbelievable experience. I mean, you were there up close and personal, so you obviously had the the, the best vantage point of, yeah. of everything, but uh, I totally agree. I think there are so many great storylines. You named a couple. I think, you know, Team Jamaica being one. Yeah. Um, what a story that was. The emergence Stone of, of Stone Evans. Now he's headed up north. He's playing for, for Six Nations. Yeah. Wins a box across. I think we have a future NLLer on our hands there. Oh, but. yeah. Just, just overall, just what it, what a couple of weeks, ten days, whatever it was for the game of lacrosse, and and you, you're right. Um, there's no denying that this is not easy, uh, but they certainly made it seem easy. It was seamless from the outside. I'm sure there were some other things that you know folks at home didn't see. Yeah. The broadcast was phenomenal. The play on the field was unbelievable. The venues looked great. Everything, just a really fantastic job done. Uh, by the group down there in San Diego. And I think the, the standard's been set now. Mm. Uh, next year is going to have to be bigger and better. But before that, we we head to Utica, uh, yeah. you know, upstate New York for the box championships. And we're going to have women's box across going on. So I think we have an opportunity to have another unbelievable uh, world championship, but this time uh, under a roof and inside the box. Yeah, and then, of course, uh, I think Hong Kong's hosting the women's under-19s uh, coming up. And we don't know where the next under or I don't know. Are they going back to under-19s? They stay in under-21 for the men's. That, that I'm not sure. I actually yeah, and, should, and I don't know where they're that, playing it. Uh, we don't know where the next men's world championships uh, are going to be. Um, Jake, Brad, and Tino. Uh, we're, well, Brad joined Jake and Tino for an episode while we were down there. They had Jim Schur on from World Lacrosse, and he didn't give any idea of where the next men's world championships were going to be. I kind of have a feeling the fact that now Japan is back in the A pool, they might go to Asia, uh, they might give it to Japan. That would be unbelievable. Um, but yeah, we don't know where the next men's world championships are. But like you said, we got Utica. We got Hong Kong for the women's. So the game continues to grow and we go to these amazing places for these unbelievable events. Actually, now that you do say that, I do recall it is going to stay at U20 because what a coaching staff that was announced for the men's (laughs) U20. Gary Gate as head coach. John Grant Jr. assistant coach. Uh, Sean Wilkins. Ah, little Willie. I love that from RIT. He was, uh, he was with me in Rochester. He, he's actually done an incredible job for himself and that program at RIT. So shout out oh, little yeah. Willie. Love that he's on that group. Uh, and John Gallant, assistant coach, yeah. Denver. Yeah. And then, uh, Mark me, uh, Miasta. Yes. Miashta. From Canisius college has done a great job with that program taking over uh, for our guy. Um, but yeah, what an unbelievable wagon yeah. of a coaching staff 
Team Canada has. And we know there'll be a wagon on the floor or on the field as well. So yeah, um, some great with the sheets was helping out with the men's team with with Brownie and, and T Ray and um, yep. yeah, Eric yeah. Thompson. So he's he's got some some international men's experience as well. So that's and, just an unbelievable group. And yeah, when when Mernsey left for uh, St. Bonnie's, I believe he took over as head coach. Yeah, so he's he been there for a few years now yeah. and, and has helped them be be one of the you know, strong mid-tier D1 programs uh, that always find themselves in the tourney. Haven't, I don't think they've had a tournament win no. um, yet, but um, they've been they've been close. So uh, obviously, again, congrats to those gentlemen on being named uh, uh, coaches for that team. And yeah, we're going to have to keep our eyes on on some 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 other big news coming across for international lacrosse but it doesn't course, say Eddie, where it is in that release no no not that i can see I, again i just looked at the tweet yeah. um yeah. i haven't seen quite yet i know uh there's still uh there's still no set location or dates for the tournament host cities are still being considered for the event and more information is to come soon so yeah we'll have to just and, stay what year? what's that 25 yeah, 25. Yeah. 25. Yeah. So we go 23 Utica, 24 Hong Kong for the women's, 25 for the U19 or U20s, and then it'd be maybe 26 for the men's, something around there. Correct. Ish, somewhere. But hey, something like that. To the future, we will look. Um, but yeah, all around, unbelievable experience. The only knock that I heard from people was. Like I said, there were three different venues. So the opening Canada-USA game, the semifinals and the finals were all at Snapdragon Stadium where they played the first ever NLL outdoor game. Unbelievable stadium, awesome facility, um, great stuff. Love it. But everything else of the A pool was played at Torero Stadium on the campus of San Diego State another unbelievable venue but then all of the b through f pool games and some of the and the quarterfinal games were all played um at san diego state university and so there was there was all these other 25 teams there and all their fans and all their players and parents and coaching staffs and whatever but they never really had that interaction with the a pool team. So you're not seeing the Americans or the Canadians walking back through everything after a game and allowing these guys to have moments to kind of see them and hang out and chat. So the, the separation of the a pool to everybody else was kind of a bit of a, a letdown for some of these nations. Cause that's one of the biggest things for these young men is to, to come over here and get a chance to not only see these guys play, but just kind of chat with them, interact with them, take some pictures, and, and just see them out and about. So that was sort of the one knock that I heard, but one knock out of a hundred great things that accomplished aren't going to ruin the <laughs> world championships. But again, that's just sort of the, that was sort of the discrepancy of having so many venues, and I get it. They, they needed to fill 107 games somehow. And this was the way that it worked out. They want to showcase some areas, but that was just sort of the one, one sort of faux pas or negative that I heard uh, about the tournament uh, in general, but just an unbelievable setting, unbelievable atmosphere. Um, and again, kudos to everybody. 
So well, I guess maybe we can call that your thumbs down. For, sure. Or, or sure. you're 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 telling what some maybe some people's thumbs yeah. down are. I'm do you have a thumb? thumb do you have a thumbs up? I know there's lots to talk about. There's uh, we haven't chatted in a while. Is there a glaring thumbs up or or anything that you think deems a thumbs up? Let me think. You obviously have one, so go ahead. I do. I do. Um, one of the better stories in major series lacrosse uh, this year, I think, in my opinion right now, is uh, the emergence of, of Zach Kerrigan. And he's actually playing some senior b-ball uh, with Brooklyn as well. But uh, nine point, or in nine games, 22 points. And the name probably doesn't really ring a bell. Okay, he's playing for Brooklyn. Must be, you know, maybe a, a Whitby kid or a Oshawa kid. Nope, not that. Okay, maybe he was drafted from Mimico. Nope, nope, not the case. Zach Kerrigan is a born and raised and developed Nova Scotian player from Ooh. Halifax. And he went to Mars Hill D2 school in North Carolina. Yeah, I know. I knew that was coming. Uh, and he's done a f- phenomenal job between the two teams. Actually, Stephen Stamp has a, a story on him on uh, Isle Indoor if you want to go take a look. But this is a guy that I think is certainly going to get some calls. And from what I've heard, he already has had some calls for some NLL teams. Last year would have been his draft year. Obviously, didn't get drafted. So now he has the upper hand yeah. kind of choose where he wants to go. I think this would be an absolute no-brainer for Halifax to reach out and call. Of course, their left side is pretty log jammed. Yep. Of course, Cody Jameson and Ryan Banesh haven't re-signed yet, but all indications show that you know, Ryan Banesh told the local newspaper, I think it was like maybe a week or two after the season, he wanted to come back to win a championship. Cody Jameson is still having a great season with Six Nations this summer. I think they both have a lot of it left in their game. But with that being said, a that is one thing I think this Halifax team is missing Uh, the fan base loves the t-birds they are fully bought in but the one thing i think this team is missing is some local flavor and i think this is an opportunity to bring a a guy in maybe he's on the practice roster maybe he's in and out of the lineup but he's a guy that they can he's living in toronto but he can move back home and he can be a local product for some of these young kids to see saying this is a guy from nova scotia that is playing in the NLL, that means one day I can do it as well. Uh, Pace, uh, Alex Pace is from there, from Howie. They'd be a great guy to go out and get. Is, 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 why do I th- – and Brett Draper's from Dartmouth. Yes. Yep, He and he played He played in the Junior A League yeah. before he moved to play with uh, Orangeville. So yeah, Draper would be another great kid. Yeah, and he spent some time with the Colorado Mammoth. Um, so, yeah, so there are definitely – some up and coming and i know mckenzie's out there uh doing some stuff coaching out in halifax and working with the minor programs and and she's just raving with some of the talent that's out there and it's it's i think nova scotia is kind of like where alberta was a decade or so ago where you have these outliers of really incredible talented players that are playing amongst some some kids that are still learning the game and quite haven't developed their skill sets yet, so that maybe they stand out a little bit more. And then when they go to these bigger markets, they struggle. In four or five years, I think we're going to look at you know the the maritime lacrosse athlete as a viable option. 
because yep. they're just they're only going to get better and with the emergence of Halifax and the Thunderbirds and the pro game out there. Like you said, these guys are starting to see where they can possibly go. And it's going to be only be a matter of time before we see more and more of these players, not only playing high level across, maybe outside of Nova Scotia, but getting drafted, playing college and playing pro at a high level. So um, shout out to everybody out there in the East Coast, producing talent, doing the work and giving these guys options and skills and the ability to go beyond just playing some rec league in their backyard for a few weeks, few months of the summertime. Um, my thumbs up. I thought about it. I'm going back to the world championships. We mentioned his name, Stone Evans. This guy was one of the darlings of the entire tournament. If you didn't get a chance to watch, when I first saw Stone Evans, I thought he was a Canadian that had Jamaican roots um, that had grown up playing the indoor game his whole life because he looked that natural. It mm-hmm. looked that seamless when you saw him play. And I thought he was a 22, 23-year-old, maybe just didn't go to college because he was a thick, well-developed young man. And then I find out that he's 17 and he's still (laughs) got a year of high school and that he's from Connecticut and he didn't really play a whole lot of box. And then I spoke to the young man and everything was, yes, sir, absolutely sir thank you sir like very well spoken and i started talking to him more he's like yeah i got one more year of high school i'm a verbal commit to the air force i said wow man that, that's incredible good for you like have you ever thought about playing bosses oh yeah i'm gonna go play up uh and in, in six nations after this just i was blown away i couldn't believe how young he was and how talented he was and at such a young age, having such success playing against men, like he did not look out of place at all. And then I saw a picture of him playing and I was like, that can't be. And I zoomed in (laughs) and he uses a traditionally strung stick and it's all he's ever used. And it just harkened back to my buddy, Ryan Ward, who always used a leather stick and, and, always had a traditionally strung stick. And I, I said, man, you just got to fix that all the time. You're always tinkering. He's like, yep, it just keeps me in the zone. And man, this Stone Evans kid is going to be something special. And for the Ontario fans that are getting a look out of him playing in junior, um, enjoy him. And for NLL GMs, in five years, once he's done at the Air Force Academy, if that is indeed where he ends up going and finishes, make sure he is on your radar because you are going to want him because I guarantee you if he continues to come up and plays junior over the next four five, six years, he's going to be a hundred point guy in, in junior. A. Guarantee the kid is that good. And he has an incredible future. And again, it just goes to show some of these developing nations, wherever they get their guys from um, have some incredible talent on their teams. And it was uh, one of the best stories of the world championships. Yeah, he was so much fun to watch and and to kind of go piggyback off of, you know, Americans embracing the box game and and it flourishing in their field game. Well, I mean, Mm -hmm. just look at look at the talent in in Ontario lacrosse this year at the junior A loop. Joey Spelina, like he goes up north, plays with the Northmen, 
103 points in 19 <laughs> games. Like the guy's just dipping his toes in box yeah. lacrosse. I, I, you know, the, there's a, a plethora of guys that Peyton Booth, another guy, mm-hmm. um, he's committed to Cornell. He's going to play alongside Willem Firth for four years for the big red. He's played with uh, the Toronto beaches. Um, uh, there, there's a, there's other names there that I'm missing that are playing up North right now yeah. um, in Toronto that, uh, that are certainly putting their mark. And it's great to see, don't get me wrong. It is outstanding to see the growth um, that we're seeing at, in us box love. But I think it comes to a point where I think these guys are wanting to come up here to play an elite level, similar to what we are talking about with Halifax. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to get to a point where these kids don't have to come North and that the box across down uh, in the States is going to be good enough for them to compete. But until it gets to that point, some of the elite of the elite are going to have to head North CJ yeah. cursed from Mimico is the other one that just yeah. popped into my head. Um, we're not at that point yet, but we're going to get to a point where a player like stone Jacobs or a player like CJ cursed or whatever, whoever it is. Stone Evans. Is, I made the Stone sorry. Jacobs mistake. Oh, yeah, yes. Stone <laughs> Evans. I was like, Stone Jacob. No, no, no. Stone Evans. So those those guys are, are going to – there's going to be a day where they're going to be able to live at home, have their buddies, play with their buddies, yeah, um, and not have to, to, to move away for the summer after being away at school for so long mm-hmm. because it's going to get to a point where the – the caliber is going to be so good might not ever get to the point of, of no. the BC or the, but it's going to be good enough where they can develop and they're not going to be that much better than everyone else. And I think that's going to be exciting. I also think that we're going to be seeing some great lacrosse at the box nationals in Buffalo Ooh, yeah. at the start of August. That's going to be awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, no, no breaking news, but I hear there's going to be some big names playing in that tournament from the collegiate level. Let's just but, leave uh, it at that. I, I, I can't wait for that tournament, honestly, because if you watch some of it last year, you just like Colton Marquis was sort of the breakout from, from the last um, U.S. boxer and the, the talent and the coaching, it just continues to get better down there. And these kids are just having the, a blast. And yeah, that first weekend of August in Buffalo, U.S. Box and Nationals. Make sure if you can get there, get there. If not, tune in to the broadcast because it's going to be some unbelievable lacrosse. Um, let's get to sort of the breaking news of the week and the main reason uh, Pat and I decided to get back on to a podcast. The Saskatchewan Rush and Derek Keenan were very busy. And it started off with a bang on Monday when they sent Mark Matthews to the Toronto Rock for Zach Manns, Adam J and the number 12 overall pick in this upcoming draft. So, again, the Rock had a first-round pick. They hadn't had one in a while. And, again, Jamie Dowick ships it off to go get the mailman, Mark Matthews. Um, This is a win-win for both teams as it stands right now. The Rock get a big, powerful lefty that kind of completes that offense. The Rush get younger on offense. They get younger on defense. Two young players with West Coast ties, familiarity with each other. and they get another uh, first-round pick. So this is a, a huge trade as we move towards free agency. Massive, massive. And this is the news that we've been waiting for. Well, don't get me wrong. The offseason has been great in terms of summer ball. We've, we've seen some great stories. We had the world championships. But we were craving some news leading into free agency coming up in a couple of weeks here. And we got it. And who else? But Keenan, 
to get the ball yeah. rolling. And it's an absolute banger of a trade. You mentioned it like Jamie Dowick has, has, has not been afraid to go out and, and get a guy that he really wants. And Derek Keenan has not been afraid to make brash decisions, but this wasn't easy. You're getting rid of arguably the greatest player to put on that sweater for that franchise, a guy that's won multiple championships, a finals MVP, a league MVP, but a guy that from all indications, it seemed like he was ready for a change, wants to play closer to home. Um, and you, you, you talked it and we're going to talk to to Cody Jansen uh, about it a little bit later. They wanted to get younger. They wanted to get faster. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they do by going to grab a guy like Zach Manns. I mean, yes, the point production is a massive drop off when you look at Matthews, who again was close to hitting a hundred points this year. And then you look at Manns, who had 36 points in 16 games. But yeah. Manns is the third lefty. At some points of the season, he was bouncing in and out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. But what we're seeing him do as a legitimate number one lefty in summer ball. And I think if you give him that confidence and, and say, you're our guy on that left, left-hand side, I think he can become that guy. It's just the opportunity hasn't come. The confidence wasn't quite there. Am I saying he's going to put up a hundred points next year? No, I'm not saying that, but he has the potential to be a bona fide number one lefty. And I think it, it, it could happen and it could be in the right situation, you know, in Saskatchewan. Yeah. And then, you know, the man's we, we saw him. I don't want to say he fell out of favor in Toronto, but like you said, he was sort of in and out of the lineup because they were trying different things. They had some injury issues, but it, if Zach man's can build the confidence off of this summer, like you were saying, I still think he needs to adjust his game a little bit when it gets to the NLL, because as yeah. we all know, summer to pro, there is still a bit of a jump. You can't just do the same thing and have it work every single time. You have to have different elements to your game. So I think Zach still needs to find a couple extra things, but under Derek Keenan, under Jimmy Quinlan, Cam Sedgwick, that whole crew in Saskatchewan, I think he's going to find that. And, 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 you know, the other part of the big news was the second deal that Derek Keenan made going out, and shipping Matt Beers and the number uh, the number five pick to Panther City in exchange for Patrick Dodds and Camlin Grenick. So now not only does Mans come west with his buddy Adam Jay, he's reunited with Patrick Dodds, who they played some junior ball together, um, and just adding some more familiarity with that group. That offense is going to look completely different. You know, yeah, sure. Church and Lintner and Madronic and Clark Walter and Ryan Keener are still there. But when Grenick Dodds, Mans gives you a different look, add some more size to your team, add some more speed, some more dynamics. Um, this will be a definitely retooled and revamped team. And I know Evan Schemenauer has got his um, random thoughts on free agency coming out in a little bit through Lax Flash, but he kind of hinted towards well, what does Reese Dutch do now? Well, I think bringing in Dodds and having Madronic and Lintner and Church, those are four quality right-handers. I just don't think Reese Dutch fits in there. I know Dutchie would love to be able to still play. I just don't think it's in that offense the way that they're going. So um, I think Derek Keene has already got a head start on things uh, in making these moves. I think there was a lot of rumors last year that – 
either Panther City was trying to move Dodds or Saskatchewan was trying to get Dodds. But this was maybe something that had been in the works for Panther City of trying to move on from him. And for Panther City, you know, again, Dodds was kind of a guy that that fell out of favor. He he didn't do as well in his rookie in his second year as he did his rookie year, but he saw his minutes diminish with the arrival of Donville and the arrival of Callum Crawford. So I think getting him out of there will be a better fit for him and a little less travel, a little easier travel, maybe. Um, but this was a, a great move by Derek Keenan right out of the gate to to start retooling his team ahead of free agency. Well, I I, yeah, I think this this deal is even better for Saskatchewan. Like I I really question what what Panther City's doing here. Like I really was really confused by this deal on their end. Unless they have you know are confident that Beers is going to sign and he can mm-hmm. be that missing piece on defense that they've been looking for as the veteran with some sandpaper to him and a guy that can lead after losing uh burns in that trade i don't i i just don't know and yes that fifth overall pick is going to be a legitimate stud it's going to be a guy that is probably going to be you know a, a, I don't want to necessarily say a cornerstone piece but a guy that is going to be a big part of your team for a long time and based off the way this draft is looking it's probably going to be on offense it's probably going to be a guy that again probably doesn't play this year but plays next year but as as indication shown the last couple of years panther city believes they're they're yes they're they're focused on the future but they believe they're close they believe they're knocking on the door so drafting a guy that can't play this year you'd think they'd rather have a guy that put up 84 points in his rookie year. Yeah, he did the drop-off. But Dodds has proven that he can play in this league. Dodds has proven mm-hmm. that he is a guy that that should be a number one or a number two. He fell to a number three. So maybe this is just an instance where, again, they like the way their offense looks without him. And Saskatchewan sees an opportunity where behind Robert Church, now he's your number two with Littner in the fold as well and then you look at the lefties with keenan as your number one you've got a guy like zach manns who maybe is your number two clark walter is your your three when greniak is your four and madronic on on that right side as well forgot to mention him he's a guy that maybe now you can start using him a little more out the back door and and utilize the utility of his game i think that the days of of there being you know, Mark Matthew, like one, like big, big, big time names on the offense maybe isn't there. And yes, Robert Church is still an elite player, you know, a guy that's going to put up a hundred plus points who yeah. did that last year. But after that, Keenan's a 70 point, maybe it's, they have a bunch of 70 and 80 point yeah. guys instead of three near 100 points guy. And then the drop off is big. Maybe that's yeah. the way that Keenan sees this offense working. And I, I think that's probably better for them. That, that's just more ball movement, more production, keep guys more involved. Um, Panther City has one pick in the first two rounds. They have five picks overall leading into this draft. The Saskatchewan Rush have five picks in the first 24 overall. They have six picks in the first two rounds. Let's see what Cody Jansen, voice of the Saskatchewan Rush, has to say about these moves, the future of the Rush, and some Rocky Mountain lacrosse. He joins us right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. 
Joined now by Cody Jansen, uh, play-by-play voice of the Saskatchewan Rush and Mr. RMLL. Cody, what's going on, brother? Not a lot. Just staying busy over summer, as you guys could expect. But uh, no, it's been awesome. It's been a great summer so far. How hot is it in Toontown? Or you're in Edmonton, actually, right? Just outside, but yeah, you're correct. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. been warm enough. It, uh, good golf weather. Nice little 25 and sun. One that smoke's gone. It's beautiful. So I can't complain. Beautiful. And uh, your Saskatchewan Rush are making moves. Um, Derek Keenan wasn't going to sit idle uh, after the season that the Rush had last year. Which of these two moves surprised you the most? The Dodds one, it's got to be. I think we all heard the rumblings of a lot of teams approaching the rush at the last trade deadline, trying to get those big pieces like Matthews, like Rubish. You know, teams were actively pursuing them in hopes that Derek Keenan would move them in season. That didn't happen. So then when the offseason comes around, you're going, okay, could their names be thrown out there again? So it does make sense. But I think that Dodds one came out of the blue, right? When I first heard it last week, I was just like, that's shocking that, you know, Panther City's parting ways with a player like that. Again, I don't know what their game plan is. They could have something. I'm sure they've got something fully lined up to replace them. But let's just remember that this is a 21-year-old player who is a Rookie of the Year finalist, has 130, 140 points in his two seasons in the NLL, and they kind of parted ways with him early. Like, this wasn't a, you know, Connor Robinson situation in Saskatchewan where, you know, his start wasn't as hot, and so you part ways with a guy who then ends up performing. This is a player who had an unreal rookie season, took a step back due to them bringing in Callum Crawford, who obviously needs the ball in his stick a little bit more. So I think it was really shocking that, you know, Derek Keenan was able to get younger, faster, and hungrier with, you know, one swing of the bat. You mentioned getting younger, faster, hungrier i think these two trades clearly have done that but i want to i want to stay on on the dodds trade before we shift over to the other big one but with patrick dodds you mentioned like 84 points in his rookie year but a drastic drop off um and even this summer maybe not as deadly as we expected him to be with the shamrocks this year do you feel like Patrick Dodds in his first year was more of a glimpse of, of, of what he can be as a legitimate number one righty in this league, or uh, was, was he just benefiting from playing on a team where they maybe didn't have that bonafide number one righty? Do you, do you believe that Sask maybe have found the righty of the future? If a guy like Robert church is on his way out. I don't think, well, one, I don't think church is on his way out. I, I think that's a guy who, I don't, I can't predict the future. I, I don't know when this is dropping either. Like I, I, I would not be shocked if he ends up getting franchised, right? Like I think that's a realistic mm-hmm. op- option. We can, you know, throw that out there, but he, you know, Dodds also isn't going to be expected to play above Robert church. No, no one mm-hmm. is right. Church is a, you know, there's only a handful of guys in the NLL who can do what Robert church does. So I, I think for Dodds, you're looking at him to become probably that number two righty. And you really hope that a two-man game can be revitalized with Austin Madronic, who we obviously played juniors with, right? Like, there's a lot of connections there. You've also got Dan Lintner on that side, who does wonders, setting picks, opening up opportunities, and he can capitalize on his chances. 
Like, I, I think this really solidifies that right side, or I guess the righties on the left side, but it is going to come down to him finding his game again. And I think that being that number two guy, where his rookie year, he did get those number one touches, but we also saw with like a Mike Triolo in Panther City, right? Where he just put up a ton of points. Does that really justify him being a full-time NLLer? Well, quite clearly it didn't, where teams didn't think of him that way this past season. So I think there are a lot of variables, but uh, the biggest thing for me is still, he's 21 years old. You know, it's his first yeah. season in the W or not first season, but you know, he played juniors last year. So now in the WLA, he's playing against a whole different style of defenders. That's summer ball is not an easy thing to get used to. So yeah, you would love to see him putting up Zach Mann's numbers. I just don't think that's realistic for every single person in the world. We'll get to Zach Mann's in a minute, but we can't leave out Camwin Grenick in this yep. deal. Um, you know, a, a lefty forward who, who, you know, an Edmonton guy will probably have some familiarity with some of the people in that organization. What does he bring to a rush team on that lefty side that really spoke out to Derek Keenan? He brings the depth. I think that's, and again, I'm lucky enough to get a watch cam all summer as he mm -hmm. plays a senior out here in Beaumont. So I think one of the big things in talking with multiple people who have coached him and coached against him, watched him play is that he's a fit body. He's in really great condition and he's willing to get to the dirty areas. That's something Saskatchewan struggled with last year at times. Yeah. You know, that's not a mm -hmm. shot at Palace, Matthews, Keenan, but again, those guys weren't really driving the paint as often as you probably would have liked to see them do. That's why Clark Walter had a ton of success when he came in. Why? Because he was a guy moving his feet, getting to the dirty areas, taking some hits, but he was also generating those chances by himself. That's something Camwin Grenia can do. And I think that you're not expecting him to be this, you know, 15 goal scorer season. I think he's a perfect eighth forward who can work his way up and down the lineup. And I think he's going to push those lefty forwards to be better because the standard has to be higher. You can't just have three guys with more than 32 points in a season and expect to be a playoff team, expect to be a championship caliber team. There needs to be more depth. There needs to be more competition. And I think bringing in someone like Camwin Graniak does something different. He's not just a perimeter passer. He's not just a pure skilled forward. So I really think that that's a good sneaky addition too. Everyone knows the NLL season bumps and bruises happen. So what, what do you have that can supplement it? it is a guy that's young, hungry, and can pop in. While we're on the topic of lefties, I think we, we have to get into this, and I'm surprised we didn't even lead off with this one, but 42, uh, no longer. with That's weird, right? That's it, weird. Right? It's really weird. It really is weird not seeing the big lefty in the black and green next year. I, I mean, uh, you did a great job with that video for the rush on socials, voicing it over. And you, it just talks about how big of a fa you know, fabric of this organization. Mark Matthews was, you know, he's probably going to have 42 hanging up in that rafter at some point when he does, you know, when he eventually retires, I think everyone, regardless of what he does with Toronto is going to remember as a Saskatchewan rush. This is his trade though, that I think had to be done. It was time to move on for both sides. But 
sometimes fans don't understand these things. What is the pulse right now around this move with the Saskatchewan rush? I can be honest. The, it's been a lot more positive than I would have assumed. And again, I hate reading social media comments. I, I do. I'm the first to admit that just reading some of those, we all know how passionate Rush Nation is, right? The fans are just unmatched. And so generally over the past two years, there's been a lot of negative comments and fair. So again, teams want to see a playoff, you know, caliber team. They want to get back to that championship level. But reading a lot of the comments made me and some others maybe realize that what we were seeing others were seeing as well. And that, you know, it seems like there was interest from Mark to play closer to home. It's that that spark had run out a little bit in Saskatchewan. He was still putting up points. Don't get me wrong. That guy could be putting up points at 55 years old and no one would be shocked. (laughs) But again, I think everyone's wick eventually runs out. And so when you need to bring in that fresh blood, uh, a guy with immense trade value, a guy that a lot of teams would love to add, it it did make sense to move him now before one year's time. Say he doesn't sign and you can't franchise him. All of a sudden, are you going to lose him for a comp pick like that? I don't want to say it's a stupid move to have that happen, but it would be when you consider what you could get in return for him. If you move him a season before. You talk about, you know, his legacy, he, you know, now you, you look at the guys like Dilks and Rubish who will be the longest standing rush players that, that played back in Edmonton. What's Mark Matthews going to most be remembered for as a rush player? Oh, I, I well, I, I think Teddy, you saw it firsthand too. That 2015 season and the, the playoff run that they made, like that was just next level Mark Matthews. But I also think 2016, you know, there was a lot of pushback in the playoffs too. Not to say Roch didn't push back in 2018 as much, but I felt like the depth was there too. But, you know, going back to back in this league is so hard to do. And I think the way that, you know, 42 put the team on his back in that playoff series, uh, I thought that was next level. And, And then it was also just the introduction to box lacrosse for Saskatchewan. Not that it wasn't around before, obviously the pro game wasn't. And so rush nation, you gotta go to the star player. If it's hockey and you're getting into hockey, you're watching Connor McDavid. You know, I, it just makes sense that lacrosse has their own. And Mark Matthews was that Mark Matthews was the player that every fan could just lock in on every shift. And you knew something was pretty likely going to happen. So I I think that 2016 championship, super memorable for the fans in Saskatchewan. And again, I think it was just night in night out during that stretch from 2016 to 2018. It was just ridiculous place. There was so many. I think one of my favorite Mark Matthews plays of all time, though. Do you remember in Langley in 2019 where he had that little, like, it was kind of a swim move, toe drag. Then he goes to his backhand sub shot. Like, yeah. that, it's one of the most ridiculous goals you'll ever see. He did something similar in the NLL, too, but I just remember yeah. that. The, World the one against Halifax where he, yeah. Oh, yeah. he did <laughs> yeah, that was, that was who it was. swim move and then, like, the reverse backhand short side bouncer. Like, that was gross. Like, he see, had just, almost what he did in 2019, too. Yeah, right? yeah. he was, just had this ability to – and it's funny because he always got that John Grant sort of comparison – 
But people always jump to the defense. Oh, he's a more of a passer than junior. He's not a, a pure shooter. That guy could pick a corner from anywhere, and it looked like he was throwing it at 50%. He was just so good, but it never looked like he was going 100%. He just had this natural ability to kind of to float and glide and just find the right spots. And he was an incredible power forward. He still is an incredible power forward. Um, I guess the question now is how do we think collectively he does in Toronto? What does he do now for a Toronto Rock team that has just been on the verge every year of getting over that hump? Does he give them that boost over the Rock? Pat? Pat, if you want to jump jump in, that's (laughs) – I can close my window. You probably got dogs. I'm throwing it out to the collective group. Yeah, no, no, no. That's I, I didn't want to step on any toes. Plus, I no. How does he do in Toronto? I, I think it's there's going to be benefits, and then I think there's also going to be a loophole. Uh, again, depending on how the scheduling shakes out. I, I don't know what you guys have heard dropped. No, uh, again, I think the scheduling is going to change some teams' travel plans, and, and that'll definitely makes it oh, I, I think what what did how many times did toronto actually have to hop on planes last year like it's you know they they have the easiest travel schedule in the world you practice tuesday nights like uh, again they've got the benefits that teams like saskatchewan don't have mm-hmm. where i think that that does help older players it helps prolong their careers maybe but i also think that there's a factor of you know I don't know. It feels easy to get up for games in Saskatchewan. Now with Toronto not having a home barn, like it's it's going to be weird. They're hopping around. Maybe you get back to the hammer in 2025, 2026. I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe that leaves a sour taste in my mouth for an organization that's really trying to set their footing again. Uh, you know, call them the Ontario rock, call them whatever you want. I think that's a little bit of a weird dynamic to throw in uh, of, you know, for Matthews, every time he threw on that rush sweater, he had something to play for because he used the one leaving the legacy there. So it will be interesting. Uh, again, I think for, you know, his play wise, it, it's tough. He's already been at his peak. That's <laughs> I'm not breaking any news by saying Mark Matthews is not at his peak anymore. But uh, again, if he can go a season and, you know, the injury problems aren't there, you know, if he can stay healthy, if he can, you know, get that adequate time on the floor where he's not getting banged up and he can be a pure passer skill guy. He's going to torch the West or the East. Pardon me. Yeah. I just, I just envision him throwing skip passes to, to Tom Schreiber and, and them <laughs> to, you know, just snapping it around again. You, you have a guy like Corey small on that left side and, and Dan Craig. Now, I mean, Dan Craig's going to be the guy that's going to be doing a lot of the dirty work, but mm-hmm the fact that he's your mucker and grinder and he's still put up 82 points last year just goes to show you what, what kind of skill uh, this offense has. So we talked about the one side of the trade, the other side, I, you know, I think this is, you know, again, I'm a proponent that we don't have to say who won the trade the second it happens, because let's be honest, we'll never really know until things unfold. If Toronto wins this championship, sure, they won a trade. If Sask goes on a run and becomes a championship pedigree, well, then you can look at that on the other side. Maybe they won the trade. 
can't really look at it. But but looking at the impact right now, the fact that Derek Keenan in this rush team is able to pick up Mans, Jay, and a first-round pick, mm-hmm. got to be pretty, pretty pleased with that return. No kidding. I, I don't think there's anyone. Uh, again, I, I you don't want to say winners and losers, but if you look at both of those trades, it's pretty consensus who won. And that's we even saw Delbs tweeted out the other day. You know, it's so if the best players in the world know who won the trades, I, I think as media we can you know be pretty open here too. The issue though is what was the alternative for for Dominic in Toronto, right? Is do you let Mark Matthews go somewhere else? Because there is seven other teams that would love to add a big number 42 to their lineup. So you kind of still have to pay that price when getting a legend. You know, it's it's very rare they walk to your team for free. So I I think the deal makes sense on both sides, but I think Saskatchewan got the better haul. Like Zach Mans continues to get better, and now he's going to play a bigger role in Sask, right? Where he wasn't Mm -hmm. that number one lefty. He's got a chance to be a number one lefty in Saskatchewan. And we're seeing what he does in the Nanaimo Teddy. I don't need to tell you how good he's been this summer. And so I think that if he can find a way to translate his senior a success to the NLL level, it's going to be damn dangerous. Then you add a D man and Jay, who obviously is a replacement with Matt beers going out of town too. Now you get younger, you get faster, you get hungrier again. And I think that that's what they need because at times the defense did get caught flat footed last year and that's what burnt them at times. So as much as you would love to have as many veteran presences as possible, there's still that in-game aspect. And I think that Adam J is that quality defender who can play a depth role. You don't have to notice him every game, but that's sometimes the best part if you're not noticing a defender. Um. They send the number five pick along with beers for Dodds and Wingrenyuk. So they're out of the top five, but they have five picks in the top 24 going into the, the first, into this draft, including 12 good? and 18. I think that's pretty good. Um, so I wouldn't call this a rebuild in Saskatoon. This is more of a retooling for Derek Keenan. But what do you think his focus is going to be in this draft? Because we know Derek Keenan is one of the best when it comes to drafting for the future, building for now, and stockpiling picks. And we all know that the top five is is unbelievable in this draft. It's going to be a pretty solid draft through the first half of the second round, I imagine. So what's Keenan going to be looking at to kind of build on here this year? You got to think that a righty forward is still in the picture, you know, and maybe you do where Derek Keenan in general has been reluctant to take those guys going back to college, right? Because we're still in that. You said it. It's not a rebuild. It's a retool. He's fully retooled mm-hmm. this team without making it tank. Yes, I get it. They haven't made the playoffs the past two years, but they've also been competitive to to a mm-hmm. certain extent. So I think the retool was needed. I think you do look at a righty forward and see who's available. I think that the number five pick I, I Pat, have you dropped, did you drop a mock draft or no? I, someone dropped a mock draft. Oh, I know stampers drop stamper drop. Okay. I, I, you know, for the flash, we're, we're probably going to put one of ours together. We had our big board out, but yeah, stampers got his out. I think at five, I want to say it was Brock Haley from, from See, Whitby, and, I think is who he had. 
And like, I know Haley and Dodds are different players, but with Saskatchewan holding that pick, like who would you rather have Brock Haley or Patrick Dodds? I mean, I, I stop it. Haley had one good year of juniors. This is not a question, Pat. That was uh, that wasn't me. That I was going to say, you were thinking about it. You were thinking about it. Eastern bias out there. No, it's again, I think it's a good move. I think there's also going to be some good depth pieces later on where you can are able to, you know, snatch up a righty forward and another righty D like their left sides locked in guys. Like if you look Mm -hmm. at their top four lefty D's, it's not a shot at Connor McClellan, but again, if McClellan is your fourth left-handed defender, you're in a pretty good spot right there. You know, the guy is captaining Brampton this summer for a reason. Great dressing room guy, great leader, great work ethic. You've got Barnable, Boudreaux, Garland. You probably don't need to go out of your way to find another lefty defender with one of those high picks. So you got to find some righties that are going to fill some gaps there because, you know, we all know Rubish and Dilks aren't getting any younger. Do you want to see them back? Of course. But are they going to be the future of your righty defense in four or five years? No. So you got to start drafting and looking at that side. And then your lefty forwards right now, you've got Walter, you've got when Greniuk, you've got Mans. It's not a lot of room to draft a lefty there. And, and with Ryan Keenan still in play, I think that righties has to be the priority. Do they need a goaltender? This season? No. Yes. Do they need one in the future? That's still to be determined. I, I think Lane Rushka has got to play uh, meaningful games. That's the only way to tell. Not to say that what he played wasn't meaningful, but it's different. And I, and I think Rushka knows that too, is that playing game 18 when you're out of the playoffs is a lot different than playing game one when you've got the defending champs in town. You know, I, I think that, we all know the stakes are a little bit higher. I think, and from everything I've been told as well, is that Alex Bouquet has, you know, completely changed this summer where it's not so much let's have some fun playing summer ball. Let's make a little extra cash. It's let's take Derek Keenan's message to heart and let's figure out why longevity wasn't achievable in the past. I I think that everyone's going to go, Oh, well, it's just conditioning, right? There's a lot more to just conditioning when you're 30 years old, (laughs) you know, that's uh, I think everyone kind of can understand. You don't just sign up for a gym class and boom, your body's healthy. You know, we had to recover from an injury at the end of last season. Now you got to figure out why are the first nine games of his seasons over the past, you know, four or five years, spectacular and the back nine aren't. You got to figure out how to get that from 18 out of them. Maybe not even 18. Maybe you just need 12 to 14 from them and have a good backup who can kind of lighten that load. But I still think with a one-two punch there, if you can get quality goaltending, you don't need someone to play 18 games because most teams don't have that. Is Keenan done? Do you think that there's any other trades he might have up his sleeves? And I I know you don't have to give us any predi- project predictions or, or what you're hearing or, but do you feel like there's still more to be done besides just drafting some guys and some talent? No chance. He's done. Let's, let's be honest. There's still moves. There's <laughs> still holes in this lineup and there's still, if there is an opportunity to make this team better, Derek Keenan knows it's going to happen. You know, I, I believe that this is going into the last year of his deal in Saskatchewan. I, I fully think that the expectation is, is that he's not going anywhere. Like it would take, well, 
there's Joe Sy in the league, but <laughs> you know, it's going to take an exponential amount of money to get him out of there. And I know some teams would love him as a GM, but uh, I think that he has, again, just in the way others have, it's, he is, you know, he's a rush. He's a rush lifer. His legacy is in Saskatchewan, Edmonton. You know, he's done so much for the team. And, and at the end of the year, he said, Hey, we failed. Trust me one more time. I want to bring the rush back to the mm-hmm. top and someone like that. He's a no bullshit guy. You know, if he says it, he's going to do it. And so if he's got the opportunity to make this rush team better, he's going to do that. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised again, five picks in the top 25 or whatever it is right now. I don't see them drafting five guys. I think yeah. that there are more trades to be made. I know that there's more players available. And I also think, well, free agencies coming up here, August 1st, whatever it is. There could be other holes to fill. And I also think that there's other players on the market that maybe you do take a swing at. Yeah, I can't wait for August 1st. It is going to be one fun free agency. Uh, you're also doing a lot of work with the Rocky Mountain Lacrosse League and coming off their best Minto Cup ever. Uh, Alberta will be hosting the Minto Cup this year. They get two teams as well as the BC champs and the Ontario champs. How do the Miners and Raiders, who look to be on a collision course for the, for the RM final, how do they build off of last year's success? Well, I think you build off of it by not playing the pity card, not playing the, the just happy to be there card. I think that's the biggest thing with the, the Miners. I can't speak for the Raiders as much. I don't see them as often outside of when they're well, I guess I called a couple of games down in Calgary, but uh, you know, for the most part, I don't see them that often. Them and the Mounties is going to be a battle though. Like the Mounties yeah. have a heck of a goaltender mm-hmm. there who could definitely steal my game, if not a series. So yeah, the, the Raiders went and spent the most at the deadline. And that's why, you know, they are in that home spot in that two, three series. So they're going to be a tough out for sure. As for the minors, I, I think that, the message this year hasn't been like, well, we're there, so we can get back there. It's no, we should be there and we should be the best team in Canada. That's number one. I, I know that some, well, some people are going to write about, well, the miners weren't that dominant. Well, that's clearly because this certain someone doesn't watch a second of Rocky Mountain Lacrosse League action and they don't realize that the miners have been without their top seven players for the past month, right? Like yeah. it's, you know, if you've been in rest mode and getting guys fully healthy, well, no kidding. You're not going to be blowing out every team. I, I just think that the RMLL still gets that disrespect from the outside and the players, the coaches understand that. And it's a challenge accepted, right? It's right now for the minors, it's a chance to redeem themselves from last year. They were one post away from potentially winning a Minto cup, right? Yeah. We can't take that off their plate. And so they know how good they can be. They know the additions they've added. Like they, they did everything they needed at the deadline. Like, you know, as, as a GM of the minors, you know, they, they wanted to go out and, you know, get bigger, get faster, get stronger. They did all of that. And they really didn't have to shake up their lineup that much because they were running thin throughout the season. So it's not like, Oh, you're bringing in five guys. You're kicking five to the curb. No, they did it effectively. And so I think you got to tip your hat to, to Jamie Bowen and John Lentz for finding ways to, you know, uh, adjust some of those holes. And I think from the miners perspective, they feel that, Hey, they should be winning the Minto cup this year. I don't care if it's Orangeville, if it's Victoria, if it's Coquitlam coming to town, 
you know, it's still they're there to win it. And they feel that this is their redemption year. They were no doubt the story of the Minto seeing them firsthand uh, was special. I mean, this is a group that was, you know, you said it like one post away from potentially winning a Canadian national championship, the player or the breakout star, uh, the best player on the planet that nobody had heard of up until that point, Matthew Goche. And outside of obviously the province, your Ontario bubble, (laughs) of course, exactly. But he broke onto the scene was unbelievable. I mean, his performance in that tournament uh, got him drafted. He was phenomenal. Is there another breakout star that is poised for this Minto Cup? And if so, who could it be? So to get to Goche's level, that's tough. Like he was doing that as a true 18. He was just throwing around. (laughs) We even saw it at the NLL level. He was throwing around grown men out there. Like it's just the guy is unbelievably sturdy on his feet. I've never seen him take a big hit. Like it's, it's incredible if you watch him play just how balanced he is. And that makes him so effective. I think another player to watch, like you got to keep an eye on Jack Royer. I I know he was at the mental last year, Mm -hmm. but Oh my goodness. We're talking about guys that can thread the needle with the ball. Like, stellar that's that's one player who i still think and it's because of size right you don't see too many dan lintner sized players you know getting that like oh he's gonna be an nll player right so Mm -hmm. i think for someone like royer it is an opportunity another opportunity to really come in and make your mark i think that's a big one i think this lucas nielsen kid they picked up is going to be special too he can definitely burn around the edges and can finish on some of those plays so i would say keep a lookout for them too uh we you saw eric george a little bit in the minto cup last year just a massive righty he's been dealing with some injury issues but he got out to just an unbelievable start he's a big man who can shoot the ball he's kind of like a mike triolo and a younger version so i think minors wise those are definitely the players to watch out for i I, this uh ben mcdonald that uh calgary picked out Like I've heard nothing but good things about him as well. So I think if there's guys who are going to put themselves on the map, which is kind of what makes the Minto cup fun is that these players can go from some of the lower end teams. You don't want to say they're the worst or anything like that, but again, you get that opportunity to truly showcase yourself. And I think that, you know, whether it is the, the miners, the Raiders, the Mounties who are there, there's going to be a lot of talent that people like did not expect Alberta to have that because I didn't watch a single game. Do they make any pickups before the Minto, you think? Speaking yeah, of so the, the you're still allowed three. Yeah. And again, hot take, and everyone in Alberta is going to be kicking me in the shins for saying it. He shouldn't be allowed to. I'd say, I think we're past the day. I, I get it. Go, going to the Minto Cup, you want everyone to be competitive. You don't want the blowouts. And in certain years, Alberta is just going to get their teeth kicked in. Gone are the days, I think, right now. I think you should be, especially with the additions you're allowed to make with the movement there. I know not all the players want to move, so I get it. It's tough. I don't know. I I still have a feeling like that's, and maybe that's the hockey side of, you know, myself coming out where it's like, why, why are you doing that to some of the guys? 
I get yeah. you want the best team on the floor possible. You're still allowed to pick up three. I guarantee you that that team's well, because you'd be stupid not to like, you know, you're spending all this money hosting. It's crazy to think and, and see a little bit of what the miners are doing. Like it, it's an incredible event. They're going to be putting on. We saw it with the Prezi last year in the senior circuit, like, but there's so much work that goes on beside behind the scenes. It's not like Ontario where it was like a league effort last year to put it on right where it was, it was a collective effort. It's not just in one team's hands. So what mm -hmm. the miners have been doing to prepare for this. Yeah. It, it's impressive. And, and so, yeah, why wouldn't you want to put the best team on the floor? But uh, again, I think in the near future, you probably look at scrapping that rule, but the, the RMLL has got to figure their stuff out too here. Like you, you got to put together a better league. You can't well, just I think be you gotta have more than four teams. Well, no kidding. Uh, going all 14 and one. Right. But like, again, again, you're, you're going to water down the product like that. And so you've got to find a way to, I, I get it. You can't just put a stick of dynamite in it, but it's, there's an issue going on where tier one teams are getting more fans or players are opting out. Like in the past, you know, think about junior a four years ago in the Edmonton, well, even just Alberta area so many players are opting out of junior eight to go play tier one. Like that's, yeah. that's a red flag. But again, if players are paying a third of the price, if they're playing in front of better fans, if the schedule suits their life better, you know, yep. junior a and the Rocky mountain lacrosse league really has to sit down. They got to take their Calgary blinders off and they got to figure out how can we build. And maybe that does mean I'm not saying you got to opt out of the Minto cup for a few years, but if you just start a six team league, you're really going to water down the product, which I think is totally fine. Stop thinking it's just about the Minto cup after this year. Start, start thinking it's about developing players and developing a professional or proper league, a properly run league. Cause yeah, four teams, three in Alberta. That's it's tough to convince your average fan when it's like, well, we they, they, all they play is the Raiders and the Mounties. Like, you, you need more rivalries, you need more teams, you need more competition, and that's what's going to help the game grow. So, I, I really hope that after this year, that becomes the focus. Well, you you mentioned about like players opting out and playing Tier One and and not really having that pride in playing for the minors. That's one thing that really stuck out to me when talking to John Lins last year. He said that was like his main focus you know, two years ago is finally getting these guys to wanting to play. And maybe, maybe it's not a league. Well, of course, obviously it, it, the league is at, at fault or at play here, but maybe it's on, on the teams as well to, to build that culture and, and have these guys wanting to play. I don't know. I don't have the perfect formula. Uh, I don't make the big bucks, but uh, certainly it's, it's great to see that these teams can compete at the Minto. Um, and you know, this year we're going to see two un unbelievable teams that are going to have great chances uh, to win the thing. But again, obviously I think there's something down at the core that needs to change to allow to have a more healthier league, uh, because how, you know, how viable is this going forward? Well, you mentioned John Lentz and you got to give a shout out to Lentz, Richard Lachlan, Ben Snyder, all, all these guys, Jamie Bowen have turned this Miners franchise. Like if you think back again, five years ago, the whole Miners and Blues fiasco in Edmonton, mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. in real tough times. And so for them to flip it around, you got to give them huge kudos. But yeah. Like the, the Raiders and McBride, they're doing a great job. The Mounties and Cody Hawkins, like, they're running good organizations 
I'm not sure the planning is, you know, and again, I'm not in the big chair either. I'm just looking out from the top thinking like this, something's got to seriously change here. But again, the planning needs to be, because if, if the case is just like, let's just go for a Minto, well, let's just have a two-team league, right? Let's just stack up two teams then. And then every year we're going to the Minto and being competitive. But that doesn't make anyone better. That just helps out Junior B Tier 1, right? Because then they get more players to choose from. So we got to figure out why is, you know, at some times Junior A not as attractive as Junior B to kids. And also, how can we develop a legit league? Because getting fans in stands is needed and it's possible. We see at the tier one level, someone's got to take the initiative here to to help continue to grow the game. Uh, One last one for you. Uh, I don't know if this is public knowledge or not, but you guys, as we talked about, are hosting the Minto Cup. You'll be doing a lot of the broadcasting and you're bringing in the big gun. Cooper freaking Perkins to call some games with you. How fun is that going to be to get him up there calling some box games? Yeah, it's again, I'm looking forward to it with the Minto in my backyard, right? Like that was in just knowing the miners and talking with them. It was, it was a too good opportunity to pass up on. And then again, I had seen Cooper down in San Diego a couple of times. He put the bug in my ear, you know, very early on. And then, you know, he made a proposal that was, you know, sent out to, to people in the area they came right back to me and been you know what do you think about this guy what do you think about this and again he's i, I like the way he calls games i, I know every play-by-play broadcaster is going to have their critics myself included but again i think that cooper is very similar situation to me he's a young and up-and-comer i think we're similar in a sense in how we call games but i also think that we're gonna you know play well together as as a duo and so i'm looking forward to that and and just having another lacrosse mind who's seen the games at the top level and again he's a guy who's been following along this summer he's always messaging me asking about guys asking where to watch you know so i'm looking forward to that and, and having a lot of fun i think that that's one of the things that lacrosse needs you know, it's not to dunk on summer ball by any means, but you guys watch enough broadcasts. You can tell when a broadcaster's checked out or, or when something, you know, could use a little bit of extra spice on it. And so I think that's what we'll bring to the Minto Cup and the playoffs is, you know, giving fans that experience and then, you know, just elevating the broadcast. I know a lot of it hasn't been made public yet, but again, it's going to be in, you know, higher quality than it's ever been done before. There's going to be more camera angles than last year. Like the, the miners have made that investment. They've made that commitment to really upgrade a lot of that stuff. Not like it was done great last year. Everyone enjoyed watching it for free, but if there's the opportunity to make it better and continue to utilize some of their partners from locally, that's what they've done. And so I'm looking forward to it again. Cooper's going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to have you know, a floor reporter for all the games. It'll be an awesome time. That's, that's- awesome, man. That's amazing, and and I had a feeling you were going to be calling games, but now that it's it's official, uh, congratulations, man! The 2017 and then last year, uh, Minto Cup calling them, easily some of the best memories and experience that I've ever had. Not just as a broadcaster, but just in lacrosse itself, being around this tournament, man, it's special. So enjoy every single second, and I know I'll be tuning in. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll all be tuning in, Cooper. Appreciate you, man. Uh, you can find him. Cooper, uh, Cody, <laughs> uh, thanks. Cooper. I just did it again. 
thanks, Cody. Appreciate you, my man. Uh, what a great chat. Um, th- there's tons of stuff going on, obviously, in Rush Nation. Fans should be really excited about the future of what Derek Keenan continues to do. But in the meantime, make sure you turn into some of those RMLL games because there are some unbelievable, talented young men playing, and we will see them all on display at the Minto Cup come the end of August. Appreciate you, my man. Chat soon. Appreciate it, guys. Just remember, only Junior A-League in Canada to stream 100% of their games. Rocky Mountain Lacrosse League. Oh, humble brag. Just just throwing it out there. I appreciate you guys. The more NLL talk in the offseason, the better. It's, you know, what you guys do for the game, too, is huge in growing the league. All right, there's Cody Jansen. Uh, Great stuff from the Jansider. Um, Just has his finger on the pulse on everything Rocky Mountain League and and of course the rush, but I think he, he brings up an interesting point about the future of the RML and what they do and him saying, you know what? Yes, this year they get two teams in the Minto. They got to be as competitive as possible. But after that, they really have to take a long look at that junior A league and what they can do to make it more competitive, get more kids playing, get more fans out to games and, and really make the RML on par with the BCJ and the OJ. And he brings up a great point and, and shame on me. This is me looking from the outside, looking in. Like I assume, Hey, the RML is in a, in a great spot because last year they hit, they were one pipe away from potentially winning a Minto cup. They're sending two teams that legitimately have a chance to win a Canadian national championship. Like if they win a championship, you're thinking like, wow, junior lacrosse has never been in a better place than now. And it, it probably hasn't, but for him to have the the foresight or I guess the near sight to say, okay, this is great that we're competing for Minto cups, but how viable is this going forward? We need money coming in. We need yep. fans coming in. We need, we need competition. We need, maybe we need more teams. So the fact that he brings that up kind of opens up my eyes to someone who's outside of the province mm-hmm. thinking everything's sunshine and roses with that league right now. Yeah. And you know, we talked about that, that junior A team has four teams. Tier one has four divisions. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's so crazy. how can you have a, a junior A league, which is your premier league have four teams and one of your teams, the Saskatchewan SWAT, go 0 14 and one and then down in junior b you have four divisions with like 20 teams so there's yeah. got to be some way to just manipulate and work that system and you know i i don't know what the answer is and he obviously didn't know what the answer was either so it'll be interesting to see what the brain trust of alberta lacrosse does moving forward um, because he's right. You can't just have three teams battling it out all year long and playing, you know, four teams playing 15 games. Like it just doesn't make sense from, again, from an outsider's perspective. So um, we'll see. But again, Mountaineers, or sorry, Miners and Raiders are on a collision course um, for an RM final. And both those teams should make it to the Minto Cup where they'll play the winner of the BCJ in the winner of the OJ and both those leagues playoffs are well underway. So a lot of great lacrosse in the junior ranks, not only junior A, but junior B as well um, to take in 
all throughout the summer as we'll have the Founders Cup uh, 14th to the 20th of August and the Minto Cup will be pretty much right after that. So tons of lacrosse going through the next month and a half on the Junior Loop. So great chatting with Cody Jansen. Um, we talked about some of the deals in the NLL. Of course, go to NLL.com, find that news and transactions tab. You can see all the signings that teams are doing leading up to free agency, which goes August 1st. Um, some of the big names that have been locked up, Marshall Palace gets a two-year deal in Albany. Um, Trevor Smith back in Halifax. Alex Simons, uh, two years in Albany. Dan Dawson, the great Dan Dawson, officially announced his retirement. Um, saw him in Victoria last night. He's in town uh, with his kids. Um, and so it was great to see him. Chris Dixon gets two years in San Diego. Uh, TJ Camizzo, two years in Georgia. We know Ty Merrill's a huge fan of TJ Camizio. Um, that's a nice little story as he continues to grow inside the box. So Reinhold gets a one-year deal in Vegas. Uh, Jesse King re-ups for two years with Calgary. We talked Clark Walter. He got a new two-year deal, as did Connor McClelland in Saskatchewan. Uh, Ryan Smith, two years in Rochester. Zach Greer and John Phillips. Each get one year in Vegas. Uh, Reed Bowering and Keegan Ball re-upping in Vancouver. So the Warriors getting some bodies signed. And then Vegas gets Sam Firth and Joel Watson to one-year deal. So some teams just shoring up some bodies leading up to free agency. We'll go deeper into free agency as we get closer to that date. But again, keep an eye out for Evan Schemenauer's post on Lax Flash in the next little bit as he goes deep into some of the teams and what they may and may not do. But as we get closer and closer, what do you think is sort of the main focus for some of these teams? Not maybe all of the teams or maybe just one or two specific, but is it ensuring you have space? Is it ensuring you have guys locked up? Like, what do you think? I, it's tough, man. Like, I, I think that with some of the names that are out there as unrestricted free agents that can deny the tag. I think we're, mm -hmm. I think we're going to see some movement. I really do. Yeah. Um, is it going to be as crazy as last year where we saw San Diego go out and get, grab some of the big names? I don't know, but I, I definitely see that there's going to be a few teams, San Diego being one of them um, going out there and really securing some elite talent. I think the Buffalo bandits would have been, if they didn't win a championship, um, this team could have looked completely different. Mm -hmm. Nick Weiss, Ethan O'Connor, and Dane Smith, all UFAs, but they can all be franchised. Steve Priolo, Matt Vince, Kyle Buchanan, and, well, Greg Harnett's listed. He didn't, he didn't end up playing this yeah. season, but um, all UFAs, 33 and over. So they could, like, if they don't win a championship, I think we see some retirements in there mm -hmm. possibly. I think we see guys moving to other teams. So them winning a championship, you're, you're thinking majority of those names are saying, all right, yeah, let's, let's run, run it back. back. Yeah. Let's run it back. But yeah, that's, that's a tough challenge. I think there are some teams that believe they're really close. I really yeah. do. Like, I think, I think Toronto obviously has proven that, that they are close. They, they, they think that they're there. I think San Diego says we're close, but what, what did we have to do different? What do we need to do different? Um, Frank Chiliano is a free agent do we see him go somewhere else do we mm -hmm. see him sign back uh the warriors 
is this the first summer that we see them finally go and grab some local talent to come bring them home? Do they have the Toronto Rock effect now working? Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's going to be an interesting off season. GM. <laughs> That's also very true too. Yeah. They, 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 and I think, you know, talking to some people behind the scenes, they obviously want to make sure that, that the guy that's going to be running the ship is in place leading up to free, hoping free agency, but at least for the draft in September. They obviously have some brain trust still within that organization making some of these signings. And obviously Keegan Ball and Reed Bowering were no-brainers to get those guys locked up. When, when, when it does come to free agency, I, I really believe they should hopefully have a guy in place maybe not a head coach, but at least a GM that is going to be making these moves because, you know, if, if you're making these moves without a general manager and then three weeks go by and maybe you sign a couple guys or you don't sign guys and you miss out on a few guys, then you bring a GM in and that guy's like, Oh, I want this guy and this guy and this guy. Oh, sorry. They're not available. Or we signed this guy and this guy. And he's like, I don't want those guys. Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out over the next couple of weeks leading up to free agency. If they do have a GM in mind, I know they're doing their due diligence and in their interviews and all that stuff, but you know, and there's obviously rumors floating around of what they might do, but I believe that they got to have a guy and this is just me. I believe they got to have a guy in place when it comes to free agency to be making these moves. I, I totally agree. I, I, I certainly agree. I would even think that you probably want to have a coach in place because yeah. how does someone sign saying like, I want to play here. And then you don't know who, who's going to be your coach. Yeah. Like, I think you have to have those in place and maybe you don't even have to you know announce it, but like you would like to have at least something behind the scenes signs. Yeah. And listen, this is who our coaches we're not announcing him till next week. Cause we don't want to take away from, you know, our free agency announcements, blah, 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 whatever it is. I don't really care, but I think you got to have your 1000% your GM has to be in place and it would be a huge bonus to have your coach in place and then fast forward a couple months or not even a couple fast forward a month and you go to the draft like vancouver has what number two and seven mm -hmm. like they have an opportunity to really form the future of this organization whether they go with a guy that can play right now or go with someone who's coming next year well they've got other players coming into the fold this year yeah hopefully they're bringing like this is a massive massive year for vancouver and i think it's probably their most important off season yeah. ever 100 they've got two seven and 21 as it stands right now owen grant is expected to come out this year um obviously he didn't play in the world championships he's got a bit of a bum wheel um but you know he played the first few weeks of the pll and all signs point to him being there this year uh, I'm still of the mind that they take Ryan Sheridan at two, the big right-hander from Nanaimo. Uh, what they do at seven, um, I think they might want to add a D guy if Levi Anderson is there or if uh, Barrett, Barrett Smith? Bennett Smith. Bennett yeah. Smith is there. Um, that's definitely a guy they might want to look towards. So it'll be very interesting to see what they do, but you are right. This is a mass, and we've been saying it since their season ended, that this was going to be their biggest off-season in franchise history and it all starts with finding the right GM and the right coach and then moving through free agency, making the right moves. And hopefully whoever that is has the ability and the cachet to, to impress upon these men that Vancouver is a place to be. And I think 
They obviously, so my big keys for Vancouver are GM and head coach and, and get a goaltender that is going to be the backbone and the cornerstone of your team. You get those three in place, you already have a decent nucleus with some of the guys that are there. And then you just now can build around that nucleus. I, I, and again, I truly believe this Vancouver Warriors team under new guidance from a new GM will look completely different when we kick off the next season in December. There's no doubt. I, you you talk about the nucleus. I think they they locked up Keegan Ball for yeah for uh, for a longer term contract. I think that uh, that's he got up. two year. Uh, he got one year, and Bowering got two. Okay, so a one year deal. At least you you got him for for this upcoming season. Uh, you have Bowering locked up. So those are your two cornerstone guys on the offense and the defense as it stands right now who's there you you mentioned oh bringing in owen grant uh, charlam Beatty's i thought took a, a step forward i still yep. think he has another step to take uh, you bring in sheridan who i believe is 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 available to play this year right yeah yeah so yeah. Now you put him in the fold as a righty on that offense. This team is starting to come together. And then if you can sprinkle in a couple of big free agents, like, eh, I, you said it though, the goaltending is is the big thing. Do you go out and get Frank Shiliano? Do you believe Aiden Walsh is your guy that can play right now? Like whatever they decide, they have to be super confident. It can't just be like, here's two guys Wolf, one of the guys are going to figure it out. It's like the old adage in football. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. If you, all, if you have two goalies, you probably don't have one starting goalie. So I hope they figure this out. I hope it would be great to see them go out and get their guy. Um, or if, it, if they think it is Walsh, that's fine. But make, make it known that it is. That's your guy. He is, he is going to be your guy. And you're running with him forward. But I think that they're going to go out and get a goalie. I just have a feeling yeah. that's going to be the case. No, you got Mitski, Charlotte Beatties, um, Aiden Solomon playing out the back. Marcus Clarich is having a fantastic junior year. Uh, you still got Kyle Killen. Um, you know, Owen Grant comes in. Brian Robb can come in off the draft list. Like, they've got some pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, they just got to find a way to add to those pieces and, and really see what's in the cupboard with some of these young guys. You know, Thomas Semple uh, has been hurt for the past couple of years. He hasn't played yet. Um, so, you know, interesting to see what Vancouver does over the next few weeks and months leading up to the season. Uh, the Premier Lacrosse League is in Connecticut this weekend. Uh, dogs and Snakes on Friday, uh, along with the Archers and Redwoods. And on Saturday, Chrome Cannons, Atlas Chaos. Uh, they're in the home of Dan Arrestia out there at Rafferty Stadium. Oh, yeah out there make sure you say what up to dan um, is he is he doing the ceremonial face-off do we know I, I is, is he getting he's, honored uh, or being what? dropped out of a plane uh he's gonna parachute in and then do the opening ball drop and he might <laughs> hop on the broadcast as well <laughs> they're retiring his number too yeah around, they're hanging so. it from the jersey uh, from the rafters uh so yeah pll continues to roll they're just a, a few weeks in uh and they're in the second week after the world championship break but that will lead us right into another round of box bets. Time now for box bets, your source for all the lines, odds, and props from across the world of lacrosse. 
Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> All right, even though we haven't been on the air, Patty, we have been putting out some box bets through our social medias for the fans. And thanks to our friends over at CoolBet for helping us out. Where are we at and what do we got? Now, I don't know if it was, well, I definitely know, wasn't last week, lost last week, but I believe either the week before that or the week before that, we did get a win. So we got to get back in the winner's circle. And this one here, I thoroughly enjoy. As you know, cool bet, we've got odds for WLA, got odds on PLL. We had odds on World Championship, which was awesome. Shout out to the guys at cool bet for, for getting those odds up. It was a huge success. But right now, PLL and WLA up and running. So did a little sprinkle on both for this week for the off the crossbar podcast. We have the water dogs to win the shamrocks plus two and a half. And then the salmon bellies to win over the Berards. So, and the Timberman as well. So salmon bellies, Timberman to win shamrocks plus two and a half and water dogs to win. Put that all together at plus Five sixty-five. Shamrocks against the bellies or shamrocks against the Adnacks? Sorry, shamrocks plus two and a half against the bellies. And then the Timberman to win against the Burrards. All right, all right, all right. I'm down with that. Shamrocks, bellies, Friday night. That's a huge game. The bellies, and I know we put it out and Coolbet might have put it out. What were they to start the year? Because everyone was hammering money on Langley. It was, uh, I threw it out on a tweet. Yeah. A couple of days ago. I go, Shout out, shameless plug. Follow me at P. Gray. You can find the tweet there, <laughs> but I'll pull it up anyways. Uh, New West opened up at a plus 750 to win the WLA championship to start the season. They now have the second shortest odds at plus 225 behind Langley, who's at plus 210. Serious FOMO if you didn't get on the bellies early. And that might continue to drop, to be honest. Um, I still think despite us seeing you know, the, the, the Langley Thunder, I don't want to say look beatable. I mean, they have. They lost to the Tim- Timberman the other night and yeah. oh, just barely beat uh, the Berards or... They they look like that that they're susceptible to to not winning this thing. So the fact that everyone was just saying it's an automatic, they're just gonna walk to the man cup final, just put them and, and six nations in the finals right away. I don't think that's the case. No, I do not think that's the case anymore. And I think New West uh, certainly proved that and Nanaimo proved that you know any night they can win. I yes, of course. I think once push comes to shove and Langley's in playoff mode, I think they're still gonna be the team to beat. Um, but there's a couple of teams standing their way to get there. Yeah. Um, Thunder lost, I think 10, nine overtime on Wednesday. It's in Nanaimo. They lost the bellies a couple nights before, as it stands right now, based off winning percentage, new West is in first at 11 and two followed by Langley at 11 and three. Nanaimo's won five straight and are nine and four. And they're coming on. And the, you know, the shamrocks are kind of struggling. They, the, they're not having their greatest year. They only got 11 points or five, six, and one. Um, it really does look like a three-team race out in the West right now. But, man, those three teams are going to be fun to watch down the stretch. And if it's New West and Langley in the best of seven to decide the West, oh, my yeah. goodness, 
that is going to be a bloodbath. So it'll be very interesting uh, to see how this plays out. But you're right. I think on paper, when it comes push comes to shove, Langley should be the better team. But you don't win games on paper. And no. New West and Nanaimo have proven that, like you said, and, and playing some unbelievable lacrosse. And make sure you're you're using our friends over at Coolbet. Um, like you said, FOMO if you didn't get New West early on. But they still got some good odds, but not as good as they could have been. No, exactly. And I think if you're thinking for another team, you think that hot streak for Nanaimo is, is, is real. You can get them at plus 350. Right now, the odds are down during the week. They'll, they'll, they'll go back up live once the week of play is done. So check back Sunday night, Monday morning. The odds will reset, and before games pick up again, you'll yeah. be able to. So we might see some movement, but at the start of the week, it was Langley at plus 210, New West at plus 225, Nanaimo at plus 350, Victoria at plus 375, and then the Burrards were 50 to one Lakers 10 to one and are hundred to one. And then Coquitlam at two fifty to one. So again, I, I tend to agree. I think it is a three man race, but man, wouldn't it's what top four teams make yeah, the playoffs. Top four. top four. I still don't know if I would love to play Victoria in the first round. Like if they can figure things out, like I think they're going to, do I think they're going to go on a run? No, but. I don't think it's going to be a sweep. I think that you can definitely push them uh, to the limit. Like, put it this way. I think the first-round matchup in the WLA is going to be a lot easier than what Six Nations or Peterborough are going to have to go up against. No, you think it's going to be harder? Yeah, no, the WLA will, will be much harder than what like, – yeah. I think I think you could set in stone right now. Like, it's going to be Peterborough. It's going to be Six Nations. I know you could have done it before, but even watching Peterborough play Six Nations the other night, like – this isn't this isn't the traditional Peterborough team we're used to seeing, man. Like it's yeah. Six Nations just from top to bottom is is so much better. And I know Peterborough was missing a couple of guys. Withers wasn't in the lineup. Um, you know, there's no Sean Evans on the team anymore. Um, so it's a definitely a different Lakers team. I know Eli McLaughlin just came, so he's gonna yeah. have to get climatized to that offense. Again, this could be an absolute freezing take when Peterborough wins the MLS or MSL <laughs> finals and they're headed to another man cup. Absolutely could be, but just, just based off what I've seen, just the chiefs, just, they, they look dialed, man. They look unreal. Yeah. Their goaltending has been solid between Jamison and Hill and the Lakers did, didn't bring in their usual studs that they bring in. They went with the younger guys, which I think is smart. You know, Kells and Hutchison, are, yeah. are there two guys what a way to, to to kind of find out who is your goalie of the future by riding those guys all the way through mind you would it be surprised if come playoff time oh matt vince is was actually just on our injured roster and he's our goalie for the playoffs now yeah wouldn't surprise me either but um it's great to see them at least go with the the, the young guys to see what they have going forward for the future don't forget, head over to coolbet.com and join the fun. Play along. If it's your first time, when you log in, use that promo code OTCB. Our friends will help you out with doubling your bet up to 200. And as always, stay cool. Bet responsibly.
And I know you're probably wondering, wait, why were you talking about major series lacrosse during the box bet segment for cool, but there's no major series lacrosse odds up. Yes, you're right. There aren't, but in a couple of weeks come playoffs, maybe, maybe you'll see some odds for major series lacrosse playoffs. Just saying, maybe, I don't know. Uh, Maybe you will. Just, just, just throwing it out there. Just putting it out there. You never know. You never know what happens with our friends at Cool Bet. But it will always keep you on your toes. Um, all right, that'll do it for this week's show. Uh, great talking with Cody Jansen about all things Rush and RMLL. It was a busy week out there for Derek Keenan. And like he said, he doesn't think he's done, and I don't think he's done either, uh, leading up to free agency and beyond. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. We'll do a full free agency preview before we get to August. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at P Greggy. I am at Teddy Jenner, the show at OTCB underscore podcast, or we're on the instas at OTCB podcast. Always a pleasure chatting. Always a pleasure having you join us. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other.